familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. If you're a new breastfeeding mom, you may have some initial discomfort. You may need to adjust your baby's latch, or perhaps the baby's overall position isn't quite working out. But in general, breastfeeding should never be painful. So what about moms who experience persistent pain while breastfeeding? How do we explain that, and how do we figure out the problem? We're the Boob Group. I use a breast pump. I hand express milk for my baby. I exclusively breastfeed. I use a nipple shield. I breastfed after a C-section. I use a milk bank. I breastfeed in public whenever I feel like it. I pump at work. I breastfeed with a cover. I breastfeed twins. I give my baby bottles. I made my own supplemental nursing system. I supplement with formula. I talk to my baby while I breastfeed. I'm breastfeeding as a survivor of sexual abuse. When I have extra milk, I share it with other mom we are equal we are the boob group welcome to the boob group we're here to support all moms who want to give their babies breast milk and to respect moms who have chosen to feed their babies in other ways i'm sunny galt thanks so much to all the mamas who listen to our show on a regular basis keep in mind you can always subscribe to our show through itunes so our episodes will automatically download to your device and you can get all of our episodes immediately through the boob group app and the new mommy media network app both are absolutely free and available wherever you download apps do you have an episode idea for us. We've released more than 160 episodes, but we're always looking for more topics. You can visit our website at newmommymedia.com and email us any ideas, and we'll definitely check those out. So let's go ahead and meet the mamas that are joining us on our conversation today. Ladies, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and your experience with today's topic. So Helen is our expert, and Helen, I know we're going to meet you a little later on as the expert and talk about your experience there, but you're a mom as well. So tell us a little bit about that. Right. So my name is Helen Anderson. I'm a registered nurse and a certified lactation educator. I'm the mother of three breastfed children. And I founded a company called Milkies. We develop products for moms that are breastfeeding. And I'm also a blogger. I blog about breastfeeding issues at mymilkies.com. Awesome. And Amanda Hall is joining us. Amanda, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Sunny. Thanks so much for having me. My name is Amanda Hall. Like Sunny said, I'm a mother of two. My little girl most recently is four and a half months, and then I have a two, almost three-year-old son, so very little ones. I am co-owner of Rumina Nursing Wear. My sister and mother and I all own it, so we are a breastfeeding apparel company that focuses on providing moms with nursing and pumping apparel, and that's about it. I just want to say, I think Rumina Nursing Wear is the best nursing wear that's out there. It's so dual functional. You can pump, you can nurse with it. I know about nursing tops. I breastfed a lot. Plus, I'm familiar with products that are out there. And I think Rumina is definitely 
the top brand for moms that want stylish and functional nursing wear. I actually use the product all the time too. The The tanks are my favorite and I'm really picky about that kind of stuff too. Um, but I love them. Actually, I work out in my tanks all the time. For me, it's like a perfect fit for not being too tight, not being too loose. You know, my twins want to breastfeed right after I'm done <laughs> working out. So it's still functional, you know, I work out in it and then my baby's nurse and then I'm back to my day. So I love it as well. Oh, well, that's wonderful to hear, ladies. Thank you. All right. And Rumina is sponsoring today's episode. So, Amanda, it's great to have you joining us. And you guys know me, but I'll kind of introduce myself anyways. So I'm Sunny. I'm leading today's conversation, and I have four kids. My oldest is five. He'll be turning six this summer. Then I have a four-year-old son and uh, twin girls who are about two and a half. And I have a little bit of experience with this persistent pain. I breastfed all of my kids. I'm still uh, usually tandem breastfeeding my twins. So the pain is uh, not as frequent as it used to be, but I can certainly share my experience on this as well. So ladies, thanks for joining us. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. (coughs) Sounds familiar? (coughs) If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little... I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. All right, so before we kick things off with our episode today, we're going to do a segment that I really like. It's called What's Your Breastfeeding IQ? And so we learn a lot on the show, and we like to remind our moms about how important breastfeeding is and, and how important it is just to provide breast milk for your baby. And so we like to do these little quizzes and ask you guys questions. So play along with us. Actually, I do not have – they're all multiple choice, but I do not have the answer, so I'm going to play along as well. So Amanda and I will kind of be guessing at the answers, and then we'll turn to Helen for the answer. Answer. And so here's our first question, Amanda. A normal poop for a breastfed baby is, here's your multiple choice, yellow and seedy. So we'll say that's A. B, solid and brown. C, like a clump of red clay. <laughs> or D, soft and dark green. Amanda, what do you think? It's A. It's A, yellow and seedy. And yes, it was A, at least for my my experience, all my kids had yellow and seedy. So Helen, what's the official answer? You got it, Amanda. Nice work. Yay, yellow and seedy. And it's so funny. We did a whole episode on our sister show, Newbies, about poop. So if you guys are listening and you want, because moms love to talk about poop for some reason. Um, so if you want a complete breakdown of poop and how poop changes for your baby, head on over to our sister show, Newbies. Okay, a second question. Why do breast Breastfed babies become better eaters as toddlers. A, breastfed babies eat less and are therefore hungrier. B, breastfed babies are just more chill and open to new experiences. (laughs) Or C, the food you eat flavors your milk, exposing babies to new tastes. Amanda? I'm going to go with C. C. I I hope it's C. Helen, what do you think? Yeah, that's it. Perfect. Perfect. 
That is awesome. That is so cool that we're kind of training our kids through our breast milk. I mean, I guess it can it can go either way, right? We, we hope we develop their palate that way. But then, you know, we kind of got to watch what we eat. If we eat too much broccoli, asparagus or whatever, it's impacting the breast milk and they may not like right. that. But it's a really cool adaptation if you think about how all the different diets that people have throughout the world. I mean, yeah. our kids would probably turn their nose up at a lot of the food and spices that are really commonplace in other countries. Yeah. But since yeah. infants are exposed to those flavors through breast milk from the first day of life, to them, it's just normal. So it's pretty neat. It's a pretty cool adaptation. Yeah. I was thinking about like Indian food being really spicy and That's stuff. exactly what yeah. I was thinking too. The <laughs> curry and everything. Yes. Yeah, and the babies just become more adjusted to it because that's what their moms are eating. It's coming through. It's like a, it's like a taster. Yeah. <laughs> it comes through the breast milk. That's awesome. Okay, our last question. What percentage of mamas seek breastfeeding help? So I thought this tied in with our topic really well. Is it A, 73%, which cracks me up because that's such an exact number, uh, <laughs> B, around 50%, so about half, or C, less than 10%? Amanda? Oh gosh, this is a hard one. Um, I'm going, I'm trying to think about the breastfeeding rates overall and I'm going to go with C. Yeah. You know, I want to just, I want to say B. I know it's not A. I want to say B, but I think it's C. I think it's C. Helen, what do you think? I think it's C as well. I didn't find any hard and fast numbers on this, Yeah, but uh, just from what we know about the problems that moms have, the reason they give for breastfeeding cessation, these are things that could be probably addressed through some expert help. And we know that moms, unfortunately, aren't getting that expert help for the most part. So I think C is probably a good guess. Plus, overall, the um, breastfeeding rates here in the U.S. are, are pretty, pretty low. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about how low we are beginning with and then the percentage of those moms I can imagine it. it's a it's a pretty low number, unfortunately. Well, that's a good point because the question just says what percentage of mamas seek, not breastfeeding moms, seek help. So, yeah, that's true. It probably is C. All right. Well, thanks for playing along, ladies. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so today we're talking about persistent pain while breastfeeding, and we're excited to have Helen Anderson join us today. She's our expert. Helen is an RN and a certified lactation educator, and she's also the mastermind behind Milkies, which she talked about a little bit earlier. So, Helen, welcome to the Boob Group. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sunny. All right. So there, I think at least there's some misconceptions out there that it's normal to experience pain in uh, breastfeeding. But I feel like that's a little bit inaccurate of a statement. Helen, would you agree? Sure. So just to clarify, a lot of women do experience pain, especially in the first 14 days of their baby's life. About 80% of moms do report having nipple pain. Okay. And we define persistent pain, which is our topic today, if pain lasts longer than 14 days. 
So if a mom is experiencing breast or nipple pain regularly, what do you do? I mean, do you I, I would imagine I, I probably wouldn't react to it right away. Should we get help right away or should we kind of wait it out? Or what's your what's your take on that? Yes, get help right away. It could be a pretty simple fix. Uh, most nipple pain is due to um, incorrect positioning of the baby. So maybe the jaw positioning is causing some discomfort, the latch is shallow, or there's some other problem in the way the baby is latching onto the breast. That's the most common cause of pain. And that can be a pretty quick fix if you go and see an expert and they can just do some quick tweaks with the way your baby's latched on. And that can really solve your problem right there. And it's really important to get pain under control as soon as possible because we do see a higher rate of postpartum depression in moms that report prolonged breastfeeding pain. Now, some of the things that you mentioned, I feel like these are issues that a lot of moms may experience earlier in their breastfeeding relationship. Is that what you find that a lot of this persistent pain is, you know, starting right off the gate or or can moms experience this later on as well? Well, there can be a whole range of reasons why moms have pain and they can be things that resolve pretty early. For instance, if you have, if your baby just has a small mouth when he or she is a newborn, they can have a shallow latch, but then they kind of grow up and they kind of grow out of that problem. But then we can have some things that are more persistent like eczema, skin allergies, infections. And these are all things that are going to persist until they're addressed, that you're not going to grow out of and baby probably isn't going to grow out of either that are going to persist. And I know we're going to dive in a little bit more about those specific things that, you know, can impact this persistent pain after the break. So, okay, Amanda, how did you know something was wrong? And just tell us a little bit more about your experience. Well, to talk a little bit about the 14 days that Helen talked about, I knew something was wrong when I would every day I was counting, okay, today's day seven one more day and I can make it through. I'm just going to focus on day 10. I'm going to focus on day 14. And once I started getting into that week and a half, two week range, I really started thinking, okay, this, this isn't normal, or I don't know what the definition of normal would be. Um, I don't know if there is one when it comes to breastfeeding. I pumped um, exclusively with my son. So this was my first experience really hanging on and, and, trying to make nursing work. And so I I knew something was wrong when the pain changed. It wasn't any more about the the cracked nipples that I I suffered from, but the pain feeling changed. And I knew that either I was getting into some different area like uh, an infection or or thrush or something or I was suffering from something else that I hadn't heard about before. So when it hit that one and a half week, two week mark, and I was still counting those days, really fighting to keep the nursing and breastfeeding relationship going. That's when it kind of clued in for me. And when did you seek help, Amanda? Was it, I know you said you were counting the days. So how, on day what, when did you about, you know, was it a couple weeks? Or when did you say enough is enough? I need to seek some help with this. I first started experiencing um, really, really bad cracked nipples. And I knew just from being involved with Rumina and the breastfeeding world, that latch was so important. And I actually gave birth to my little girl about 40 minutes away. And so I live in a very small town and we don't have a lactation consultant here. So I had to make appointment and travel 
right with her being a newborn, that's stressful enough. So I held off a little bit until about day three, I think, is when I first saw a lactation consultant. She helped me with my latch. She saw how bad the crack nipples were, and she actually prescribed me some ointment for them. And then I went back to see her about day 10. And I don't know if it was in the middle of that change, that pain change or what, but um, I was feeling good. I was feeling we were getting the latch down. I was feeling my nipples were starting to heal. I was feeling really positive. So I didn't, and I was feeling really good that she was actually getting enough to eat that I didn't focus on the pain changing. I just thought that it would go away. I thought that it was maybe still associated with the cracked nipples and that this was, you know, one of those badges of motherhood that the pain will go away in a couple days. So after that 10 day mark, when I saw her the last time, I actually never went back because of just, it was, it was hard to get up there and see her And it wasn't as easy of a a trip. And I just, I guess I never sought out help after that point. Helen, what is the protocol for examining moms when they come in and and babies as well to diagnose what's happening here? Well, if you're going in and you want to find out from an expert why you're having your pain, be prepared to breastfeed your baby. And also, if you're pumping, bring your pump with you because that'll be part of the diagnosis process as well. Your practitioner is going to examine the skin of your breast and your nipple. Uh, They're probably going to look in your baby's mouth, determine if maybe your baby doesn't have a short frenulum or tongue tie that can um, interfere with the seal that your baby needs to make in order to breastfeed that can really cause a lot of dysfunction in their suck and swallow. They're also going to ask you a lot about your medical history. If you've had this problem before, if you had any pain during your pregnancy, if you had a pretty normal or a textbook labor and delivery, um, if your baby had any birth trauma, for instance, if they used forceps or a vacuum extractor, having a assisted birth like that can interfere with the way the jaw moves. And so these are a couple of reasons, a couple of additional reasons why latch might be a little dysfunctional and your baby might be causing you uh, additional pain or having trouble removing milk from the breast. Also, they're going to ask you about your supply. Um, If you have an oversupply, that can cause a lot of discomfort because essentially you're always engorged. So that can really look like persistent pain when what we have is an oversupply of milk. So there's a lot of things that your practitioner is going to look at and they're going to ask you a lot about your medical history as well. And then what's the danger in not going in and seeking help, you know, waiting out 14 plus days and just hoping that it fixes itself? Because I know a lot of moms that are really busy and let's face it, as moms, we're usually the, you know, we usually take care of ourselves last and we're focused on taking care of our kids and our husbands and partners and all that kind of stuff. And it may just be, you know, you can't get in to see the doctor. You can't, you know, you've just got other priorities. So what's the danger in just kind of pushing it off and saying, oh, I'll deal, I'll deal with it later or just hoping it fixes itself. Right. Well, there's a few risks to doing that. First of all, early stopping of breastfeeding. We know that about a third of moms cite persistent pain as a reason why they stop breastfeeding. So that can be a danger. And I can see why the stress that would come from the pain of breastfeeding causes a, you know, a definitely biological response in your body that causes a lot of stress and definitely puts you at risk for postpartum depression. So that's a big risk. Other than that, 
if you have an infection that's causing your persistent pain, you want to get that taken care of right away because infections can spread. And so um, it's important that that's diagnosed um, and that's addressed as well. And then if your baby has, there's some other reason why you're having trouble with persistent pain, there may be a diagnosis of tongue tie or some other thing that can be remedied pretty easily and kind of the suffering would have been, gone on longer than it needed to. I'm speaking from experience on this because I, I definitely did this. We do a lot of self-diagnosing. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a big risk involved with that. When I was trying to troubleshoot what was going on, I was on online constantly with what my symptoms were. And unfortunately, I went through this whole list, well, oh my gosh, it could be this. And oh my gosh, it could be this. And the pain changed a little bit. And how you describe the pain online, trying to search for that, um, the cause of it is you come up with so many things and you stress yourself out even more. And then you don't know really where you are when it comes to what you're, what you're suffering from and, and, um, how to, and you don't, you're not an expert. You don't know how to fix it or to um, change it. And I think I really wish I would have saw um, an expert at that three week, four week mark and instead of self-diagnosing like, like I did. So I think that there's a big, a big risk involved with so much information out there on the internet. And you really do need to go and see somebody and get help. We call that consulting with Dr. Google. So yeah. if <laughs> if he's only one treating you, you may want to think outside the box there, yeah. <laughs> the computer box, right? Exactly. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to break down some of the main culprits that may be causing persistent pain when breastfeeding. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. We're continuing our chat about persistent pain while breastfeeding. And Helen Anderson is our expert. Helen, let's discuss more specifically. I know we mentioned some of this stuff in the first half, but let's discuss the specifics of what could be causing this persistent pain in mom. So we talk about nipple damage. What's going on there with the nipple damage? So nipple damage can be short-term or it can be long-term. Typically, we see nipple damage in the first 14 days of life. And if it goes on beyond that, um, it could be poor positioning of the baby or essentially a shallow latch, where the baby is really creating a lot of suction, which causes a lot of damage to those delicate tissues. With a good deep latch, baby is using his mouth, his or her mouth, to compress the milk ducts. And then just a small amount of suction is needed to actually get the milk into the mouth and, and down the throat. But if we have a shallow latch, we have a lot of nipple in the mouth, not a lot of other breast tissue, which creates a lot of trauma for that fragile tissue. We can also have what we call tongue tie, which is where the, the tongue doesn't protrude past the teeth, essentially. And that creates a really poor seal between the baby's mouth and the breast which again, we have a lot of trauma that can occur due to that. But the most common cause of nipple damage is shallow latch and poor positioning at the breast. And these are issues that can really be remedied with a visit to the lactation consultant. And Amanda, I know this was a cause of concern for you. So how was it, you know, when you went to see your lactation consultant, what was the culprit more specifically within the latch? Did she, or nipple damage, what was the, what was the main concern in your situation? 
she had a really shallow, um, shallow latch and she was a really lazy, lazy eater. She just wanted to kind of plop the nipple in and, and expect everything to happen. <laughs> and that wasn't really the case. You can't, that's not really the case. So right. I really had to work with the lactation consultant on the latch and how to get her positioned on me or next to me that would help with getting a wider latch and the correct one. So it really was, uh, she didn't have any tongue tie or lip tie or anything. And so it was really just, she was a lazy latcher and lazy eater. And she still kind of suffers from that. We, I still have to try to correct her latch now, even at four and a half, almost five months. Uh, Cause she's just a little bit lazy with that. Is that common, Helen, to have to continually, you know, kind of fix baby's latch or, or should they catch on or, you know, is that normal? Well, it depends. All babies are different and babies really respond to milk flow as well. So if you have a slow letdown or an overactive letdown, that can change the way your baby's going to latch as well. So it's really individual between baby and mom. Okay. So the next item on our list is dermatosis. What is dermatosis, Helen? Dermatosis is really like a reddening and a thickening of the skin. And it kind of encompasses a whole range of conditions from eczema to allergic dermatitis. And allergic dermatitis is really a fancy word for any kind of allergy that occurs because of something that you put on your skin. So maybe you change laundry soap, or maybe you're using a lanolin-based nipple balm. And these are things that can cause uh, an allergic reaction in the skin. So anytime you have kind of scale, what we call scaly plaques, that's a sign of eczema, which Eczema is really when you're having an overreact, your skin's having an overreaction to something that maybe isn't really an allergen, but what you see is scaly, kind of scaly skin. That's what eczema is going to look like. Okay. And the next item on our list is infection, right? So we're talking about what, mastitis, thrush, am I missing anything here? A whole range of things. So infection can be on the skin, on the nipple, or it can be within the breast tissue itself. If an infection is on the skin or on the nipple, that's going to be easy to see, easy to diagnose because we're going to see uh, a red, painful, maybe some inflammation or swelling. But if it's inside the breast, that's a little more difficult to diagnose. What you're going to feel is a really deep ache inside the breast, and that's caused by inflammation of the tubes that carry the milk from the ducts to the nipple. And as you can imagine, as those tubes get swollen, they get narrow, and then it's really difficult to move the milk out. So you may experience plugged ducts. And remember, when you when you can't see an infection, you will still feel like you are sick. So having a infection inside the breast is going to feel like um, you have a fever, you have chills, and you may have an increase in pain in your breast. And these are all reasons to see your lactation consultant you probably will have a lump in your breast as well where you have inflammation and possibly a clogged duct. So what you were describing as far as the chills and everything, that is something that I do have some experience with. And I only had it with my twins, but my twins, I definitely breastfed longer than my boys. And so I believe it was in my left side. And it was so strange. This came on so fast. I remember getting up in the morning and getting dressed and noticing kind of like a, a red streaking on the top of the breast. And I will tell you what, probably within an hour, an hour and a half, I felt sicker than a dog. 
I, I literally climbed back into bed. I told my husband, I'm like, I'm not functional today. This is like, it, it felt like an intense flu. I couldn't even think about anything touching the nipple area. Like there was no way I was tandem breastfeeding that day. <laughs> Everyone was going to have to go through the right breast. There was no way. Um, but at least I, I still had one side that was functional. But yeah, it happened so, so fast. I remember drinking a bunch of liquids and I was calling all my lactation consultant friends going, hey, what is this? Because I never had this with my boys and this is this is crazy. I was just so amazed at how fast it happened. And then luckily for me, it went away just as fast. And I know that's not always the case with everybody, but by the next day I was up on my feet and everything was good. But I, it literally knocked me out for a day. Yes. I had mastitis with my second and I had it I think day three or four postpartum when you have all this other stuff going on with your body and hormonally and it really knocked me out too. And I felt really like, you know, we had people coming over to see the baby and we had to clear the calendar because I was just not in the mood for any of that stuff. So I actually (laughs) did go and see my doctor and uh, got on an antibiotic and the next day I felt fine. Okay. And then another thing on our list is vasospasm, sometimes referred to as vasospasm. So you guys can pronounce it however you want. Um, Also known as Raynaud's phenomenon. So tell us a little bit about that, Helen. So what we have with Raynaud's phenomenon essentially is when cold temperatures cause a decrease in blood circulation to different parts of the body. This can be seen in fingers and toes and also in nipples. So the hallmark sign is really a change in color. So the body part that's affected by the Raynaud's will have a purplish or a red or a bluish color. It's also very painful and can be numb as well. And then when it kind of comes back, it has that pins and needles feeling. Okay. And is so is vasospasms the same thing? How are those two tied together? They're very similar. Yes, they're very similar. Vasospasm is kind of another, a broader term for Raynaud's. Raynaud's is a little bit more specific and... Um, vasospasm kind of encompasses a wider range of conditions that has to do with kind of nerve pain that happens in different parts of the body. And Amanda, I know you have some experience with this one too. Tell us about it. Yes. Well, this is this is where after about a month and a half, uh, month-ish, that I clued in, this is not normal. I hadn't heard any moms that I talked to, and I talked to a lot of moms, um, describing this. And I and it was not the engorgement, because I experienced some um, intense feeling with engorgement, and it, it wasn't engorgement. And I so I started really looking at my nipples, and what would happen is after she would um, unlatch, my nipple would turn white. And, um, probably about, it was a delayed reaction. Maybe it could be a minute. It could be almost five minutes. I'd be either laying there in bed or sitting there. And all of a sudden, like Helen described the pins and needles into the nipple, how I described it as when your hands or arm goes to sleep Mm -hmm. and it's starting to wake up again and you have that really pins and needle feeling, that's almost exactly how it was but intense right in your nipple. And that's not, that's not the, the, that hurts. That just hurts. Um, (laughs) And even if I wasn't, if I hadn't gotten done nursing her, but I would go out, I had my little girl in December. Um, So if I would go out to outside and that cold air would hit my nipples, um, even, you know, I'm wearing a shirt obviously and clothes, but even under everything, it just, it was that pins and needle pain. So the cold air, every time she unlatched, 
that's what it was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't normal. And so when I started doing the Google search and, you know, consulting Dr. Google, I did go on to some more reputable websites. Like Kelly mom was one I used a lot during this, um, trying to diagnose, self-diagnose what was going on. And, um, she talked about the blanching of the skin and the pain of the nipple. And then I started trying to go on baby center to see how long this lasted. And really I got all types of answers. Um, it, some moms, it ended in three months. I talked to a lactation consultant. She, she said she had it every time she nursed for over a year with her little one. It was all across the board with how long it's lasting. So that's my experience. The pain has dwindled down um, a, a lot. But it's still there, um, but not as severe as it was in the beginning. And then how did you treat it? Like, what, what did you do to make it feel better? Well, the lactation consultant I talked to and what I read online, there was really nothing you can, there's no prescription you can go get. There's really nothing, I, they, it, there's very little information actually out there about it with what's causing it to try to prevent it. I just had to manage the pain with ibuprofen and Tylenol. I really used ibuprofen because I was thinking of maybe it's the swelling or something going on inflammation wise in the breast. So I, I relied heavily on ibuprofen. I probably took that daily for three months and just recently have been able to start dwindling down to taking it uh, more of on demand than and then making it a point. I knew the time when I woke up, I took my ibuprofen about two or three. I took some more. And then if I went to bed late, I took another dose. I mean, I knew exactly when I needed to take it just to manage the pain. Wow. But that seemed to help then. Oh, it did. It did. Okay. It helped a lot. So I have some experience with this too, and I will I will tell you what I did to to manage this. And Helen, feel free to say don't do this because I don't know if this is something women should do. I don't know why, but I didn't think about taking medicine for it. What I would do because I wanted instant relief, right? So I didn't and I didn't proactively do anything. It was more about just managing it if it happened. And I had it happen on uh, both breasts, and it for me it it didn't seem to be dependent on feeling cold or anything like that. And it was just during the time I was feeding my twins. I'd never had this with my boys. So this was like, I was like, what is going on here? And I experienced the blanching and everything that you're talking about. But what I would do is when I felt that pain, I would actually just squeeze the nipple a little bit. So I felt like when I would look at because you look down and the nipple would look white, right? And so I would just squeeze it a little bit. When I did that, it looked like it got more blood flow and then it went away. Oh. Helen, Helen, oh. feel free to tear me down if that's a bad thing. No, buddy, do. I don't think it works for you. And really, pain is in the brain, right? Yeah. So if you yeah. do something that kind of distracts you and you know makes you feel like it it works, then I say go ahead, do it. It obviously didn't affect your milk supply, and it made you feel better right away. So right, maybe everybody will start doing that. I'll see a research paper <laughs> on it here soon. <laughs> Exactly. It'll be the sunny method, you <laughs> yeah, know, just pinch right. your nipple a little bit. A nipple more pinching. <laughs> I, love I, it. I know the girl that invented that. <laughs> <laughs> just 
out of necessity, really, because that pain is so intense. Right, and absolutely. for me, it would just it would happen all the time, completely random. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't prepared for it. And and now that Amanda is sharing that she took some medicine at the beginning of the day, end of the day, I wish I would have like thought of that. I don't know why I didn't. It was more just about managing it when it happened. So okay, so our last thing on our list is allodynia um, and functional pain. So for people who haven't heard of allodynia, what is that, Helen? That's when a light touch is very painful. So stimulus that shouldn't necessarily cause pain, for instance, when you get out of the shower and you dry off your breasts and your nipples, usually that wouldn't be painful. But for ladies that have allodynia, it is excruciating. Wow. So does it have to just be in the breast area or allodynia is like touching someone in general and it hurts? So allodynia can be kind of a diffuse medical condition where you can have a lot of pain with kind of just really innocent stimulus anywhere on your body. But we really see it in breastfeeding because there's so much stimulus going on there in the nipple, you know, 12 times per day, somebody's putting their putting their mouth there and really stimulating that tissue on a really constant basis. And so for moms with allodynia, we're going to go with Amanda's treatment of really taking an NSAID like naproxen or ibuprofen on a regular basis, really around the clock, just like Amanda did, um, so that you don't have any of that breakthrough pain because it can be really excruciating and something that's really very persistent. So, and moms that have allogenia are the most frequently diagnosed with um, our postpartum depression because it is so persistent and it's it's so painful. And um, there's not really a way they can avoid the pain because just breastfeeding, putting on a bra, changing, changing their nursing pads can cause a lot of pain. It can get really, you know, really exhausting to be in pain that frequently. Absolutely. So, so we've given everyone kind of a, a general list, not to play Dr. Google, not to diagnose yourselves, but just to kind of give you an idea of what could be causing it. Obviously, we want you guys to, you know, seek uh, support um, from a professional to be able to really kind of guide, you know, um, what you do from here on out. Amanda, how are you coping overall with the pain? Is it is it gone? Are you still kind of taking the medicine and doing that kind of stuff? Or where do things stand today for you considering your baby was born, what, five, six months ago, right? Yeah, she's four and a half months, almost five months. So yeah. Okay. Um, t- today I feel really good. Um, I'm glad I really, really stuck it out because it was really touch and go there in the beginning and it impacted our relationship a lot, our breastfeeding relationship a lot. Um, it was stressful. I was crying a lot. I was just in pain and Helen talked a little bit about how it this can really affect postpartum depression, and I tried to keep that in mind. My mom would tell me, you know, it's okay if you if you can't do this, and kind of giving me that permission um, to just to um, to pump because uh, or try something else because I, I pumped with my son, and it really I got. I would, I would be at this point where I was just, I was frustrated. Um, I would read on their mommy, uh, mommy centers or mommy blogs that this was a badge, um, a mommy badge. And I almost got frustrated with that, that token because, you know, I know tons of moms that never have a problem with nursing and it's frustrating that I wasn't at that place. And, uh, I just counted every day. And after, after a while I stopped counting the days and our relationship has 
blossom into this really beautiful relationship, nursing relationship. And now the pain is, it's not the forefront of my mind. It's no longer the thing I'm thinking about when I'm waking up. I will notice that it sneaks up on me on occasion and I have to manage it at that point with just some Tylenol or ibuprofen, but it's um, not on a constant basis and it it isn't something that's dictating the day anymore. So it's really... It's changed a lot, so I'm really glad that I um, hung in there and worked with it because there was some light at the end of the tunnel. Good. Well, thank you for sharing your experience with us. I think that will help a lot of moms out there. And Helen, thank you for being with us today and sharing your expertise as well. And thanks for everyone for listening to our show. If you're a member of the Boob Group Club, then please be sure to check out our bonus content for this episode. If you have persistent pain now with breastfeeding, you may be wondering if you'll have it with future children that you decide to breastfeed as well. So we're going to talk about that and what your chances might be. For more information about our club, visit our website at newmommymedia.com. All right. So before we wrap up our show, we do have a question from one of our listeners, and this comes from Haley. She wrote to us on Facebook, and Haley said, Hi there. Can you please give me some advice? I'm really having difficulty in getting my 10-week-old to take a bottle. Up until recently, she has only had a bottle on rare occasions when I've had to go out alone, and she has taken it without much protest, even with formula when I hadn't had any expressed. But all of a sudden, after a break of a couple of weeks, she has refused to take a bottle at all. We've tried different bottles and teats, and we've been using expressed milk at body temperature, but she just screams and spits everything out. I'm really getting worried as there are some days I'm going to have to leave her with daddy and he gets really stressed out when she won't have it and gets upset. I'm going to go back to work in a couple of months and she's going to the nursery. So she's going to have to take a bottle by then. Do you have any ideas as to what we could try? Thank you. Hi, Haley. This is Michelle Stolberger from Metropolitan Breastfeeding. I'm an IBCLC located in the Washington, D.C. area. First off, it would be a good idea just to check and make sure that you aren't having issues with lipase in your milk, which can cause the milk to taste soapy. You can also smell a soapy smell. This can happen both with freshly expressed milk as well as thawed milk, so just check it each time you pump to be sure. Next, try and change up the baby's routine. Give the bottle while she's in her car seat, walk and bounce her slightly while giving her the bottle, or even try using a small cup or spoon to try something different. I know this is frustrating, but just try and stay calm. Lastly, reach out to a qualified lactation consultant to get in-person help. Good luck. So if you guys have a question for any of our experts, we would love to pass that information on to them. You can go to our website at New Mommy Media, click on the contact button at the bottom, and you can email us that way. You can post something to our Facebook page or send us an email through Facebook, and we'll try to get your questions answered. So that wraps up our show for today. Thanks so much for listening to The Boob Group. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals, for expecting parents, newbies for newly postpartum moms, parent savers for moms and dads with toddlers, and twin talks for parents of multiples. This is The Boob Group, where moms know breast. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. 
If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. How would you like to have your own show on the New Mommy Media Network? We're expanding our lineup and looking for great content. If you're a business or organization interested in learning more about our co-branded podcasts, visit our website at newmommymedia.com. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.